Welcome back to Crazy Fate Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we're in the middle um, of a, a kind of newish series. We're on, on episode four of a series on violence in the Old Testament. Um, we've talked about um, murder <laughs> in our first episode and, and whether or not you can murder somebody who has murdered someone. We've talked about Pharaoh and the plagues. We, we've talked about Joshua. We've opened a whole ton of cans of worms. Uh, so what kind of cans of worms are we going to open up today, Steve, with questions that we probably won't fully answer? Yeah, I, I, I truth in advertising. Do not be prepared for final answers in any of this, right? Uh, and this is not because we're all working on advanced degrees and we you know, get con- to continue our work by saying more research needs to be done. Um, it makes our work harder not to have answers. But um, So what we're going to look at today is a set of episodes and stories um, that all involve violence against women in particular and we'll, we'll sort of overview uh, the, the plot points of each of these episodes. Um, but one of the recurring themes that connects all of them is the way that in the, the biblical stories when, they're, when they are presented, there's an almost shocking casualness. that's sort of like, yeah, this happened, and then they just move along mm-hmm. in ways that other kinds of violence um, literally gets like people singing songs about. Like when... when uh, Absalom dies, uh, and he is uh, uh, David's son. There's a whole civil war. Like David, like breaks into you know mourning and sings a song and you know prays a prayer. Like he, he's heartbroken. But the stories we're going to look at have a lot more just sort of matter of fact, like a, a a terrible shrugging of yep, this terrible thing happened, and we move along. And it, it almost less on the terrible and more like here's a thing that happened. You know, without, without even calling it terrible. Yeah. And it's our sensibilities that are like, whoa, wait, did that just happen? And how did we move along from that? Um, so the, the, the four we're going to look at today are highlighted by um, a well-known biblical scholar, Phyllis Tribble, uh, in her book, Texts of Terror, that take a look at sort of this phenomenon of how many stories where violence is perpetrated against women with this kind of casual you know, off-handedness, I guess. Um, and the four we're going to look at are the story of what happens to Hagar. She is the woman in the household of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Tamar, who is King David's daughter. Uh, Jephthah and his daughter. Jephthah is one of the judges in the story of Judges. And then there's an unnamed woman uh, who's also unmarried in the story of Judges uh, who uh, is a victim of sexual violence and then more terrible things happen even after that. So, in case it were not clear, let me say now, this is one of those episodes that is like a PG-13-ish or more kind of a conversation. It's in the Bible, so we're not going to be making stuff up or adding stuff that isn't in the Bible. So if you're comfortable knowing things that are in the Bible, be be mindful, this is what we're going to be talking about. But if we're going to be honest about where violence happens in the Bible, we need to do it not just in the felt board stories of Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho, and we sort of do the watered-down version of that story, but to deal with other places as well. So that, that lays the groundwork. Um, should we hit the plot points at least first of, of uh, the Hagar story? Yeah, I think we should take each of these and quickly summarize them, uh, just in case you're unfamiliar with these stories. I know we've talked about at least two of them in the podcast previously, but, you know, it's good to refresh our memories. 
So uh, maybe to start with the Hagar story, uh, Abraham and Sarah are on their way to the land that they're going to be basically nomads wandering in, squatters uh, in, and at some point, Sarah decides, you know, we're not having kids so far, Abraham, how about you take my maidservant and you have a child with her? Hagar has no chance to say, yes, this is a good idea or a bad idea. It's just she's the slave, so she has to do what Abram says or Sarah says. She not only gets pregnant and has a son, but then once that son, Ishmael, is born, that presents all sorts of trouble in the family. Sarah doesn't like it. Abraham doesn't like it um, and gets convinced, I'm going to kick them out rather than provide for the mother of my son and my actual firstborn son, Ishmael. And so even though... There is a happy ending for Hagar and Ishmael that God continues to care and bless for them even when Abraham is a coward and Sarah is kind of mean. Um, there's violence both in that she doesn't get a choice in this, uh, oh, I guess I'll father it, I'll, I'll be the mother of a child with Abraham business, and then that she gets thrown out. Yes. Someone want to help us with highlights of the Tamar story? So Tamar is uh, David's daughter, and... Um, the, the biggest thing that happens to her, one of, is it her stepbrother, right? Yeah, like half-brother. Half-brother. Yeah. yeah. Get, good good old-fashioned King David has a whole <laughs> lot of wives. A whole lot of wives. And so uh, one of her half-brothers falls in love with Tamar to the point that, like, he can't live without her. And, you know, even though they're trying to work this out as a family, but like, no, dude, like, you can't sleep with your sister. Um, yeah, he does. Yeah, he he just goes into her room and says, "You're mine," and he rapes her. Um, and I think there's a whole business about him pretending he's sick, and like like there's oh there's, yeah, there's that oh I forgot about yeah there's like, there's. there's there, it's 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 just unpleasant all around. Like, yes. what, a, what a jerk and what a cruel move and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then that this sort of kicks off violence among David's children because because there are, one brother wants to revenge the rape right. of his sister and, and all right. this, and it just causes all kinds of. Fun family violence because that's what David's family is known for, and like, literally leads to the civil war that involves yes. Absalom. Um, so yeah, so it's, that David mourns greatly, but he doesn't necessarily so much more right, right, right the rape of his daughter. Right. Uh, at least, at least, there's no song about it in the Bible. And yeah. It, it's, it's, in some ways, it, this this whole set of stories, I think, um, highlights the question of not just what stories do you tell, but how much prominence, what you amplify and what you don't amplify. Yeah. And that, that's an important thing to consider. What things get a short little, yeah, this happened, versus this gets lots and lots and lots of space, that, that says something about mm -hmm. where, where the emphasis is being put. Um, for the, the story of uh, Jephthah's daughter, um, Jephthah is one of the judges of Israel, which again is sort of a murky term. They're more sort of like, randomly arranged warlords who God appoints to, you know, like basically start a militia and fight off whatever... Yeah. Invaded. military leaders. Yeah, I mean, like, militia is a mm -hmm. militia leader is maybe a better word. Um, uh, or they're like Braveheart. <laughs> um, uh, the, the many Bravehearts of Israel. But uh, Jephthah, after winning a victory, um, is making a vow on his way home, and he sort of out of the blue, oh, Lord, whatever, you know, passes out of my door as I'm on my way home, I'll set, offer to sacrifice to you. And it's his daughter who greets him at the door. And the way the text uh, reads it, it sure sounds like he sacrifices his daughter in human sacrifice. Mm -hmm. um, or at the very least, has made a vow on her behalf that she did not have a role in getting to make. Uh, that very likely involves her being killed. Um, other things about the Jephthah story that I missed on plot points? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and do you want to give us the short version of what happens with the fourth story? Yeah, so the fourth story is about an unnamed woman who is unmarried. She's na- she is listed as a concubine in Judges um, to, a, to, a, to a Levite. Yes. And so they're on a journey. They had been visiting her family, and they're, like, journeying home, and they get um, invited to stay with, uh, with a man. And while they're staying with this man, uh, a really vile lot of men come and are banging on the door, demanding that the, the guest, the, I mean, the host, hands over the man, the, the guest, the, the Levite. And, um, like, the the man who owns the house even says, here, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Take them, and but don't do any evil thing against this man. And uh, they continue, like, banging on the door and et cetera, et cetera. So the Levite then takes his concubine and shoves her out the door. And we are told in the Bible that throughout the night they rape her and abuse her and do all sorts of horrible things to her. And in the morning when they leave... The Levite goes out, and he sees his concubine, this this woman, and he cuts her up into pieces and ships those pieces off to the twelve tribes of Israel, so that all may know what happened to her. So that's one of those like if you didn't know that that was in the Bible, you're probably terrified to know what other things are in the Bible mm-hmm. that you didn't know were in there. Um, and I mean, like that's that story is difficult in so many at so many levels. Um, not not just in the initial violence against, uh, or the threat of violence by this mob looking for somebody that they can sexually abuse, but then the response of oh my concubine is expendable, uh, and then the, the once once this act of terrible violence has been done to her, I need to tell everybody in the twelve tribes of Israel what's happened, mm-hmm. and his response is to cut her body into pieces. Right, so and she may or may not already be dead. Right. And like, I, it doesn't t- it doesn't tell us at what point does she die. Right. Um, I think there are a couple of distinctions that we need to make about the difference between these stories that we're exploring today and the stories that we've previously explored with this, with this series. Yeah. And that is previously the other stories that we talked about. Most of those, most of that violence was commanded by God. Mm-hmm. These four series, these four episodes about horrific violence against women, none of those were commanded by God. All of this is the result of human sin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also important to like wrestle with it because, again, all four of these stories deal with the fact that there is a unhealthy hierarchy where, for, where men are considered more important than women Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, it's okay to do these things to either satisfy sexual desire or to protect yourself from harm or so that your family line can continue. Like, those were all desires and wills of men without consulting what the woman thought mm-hmm. or wanted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, and that... You almost get the sense in at least some of these stories that what seemed shocking to the original hearers was that something was done 
to the man's woman rather than like this. It's a it's a tragedy that this happened to her rather than oh man, this poor guy he lost his woman. Wait a second, that you're misunderstanding what this is about. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's very clear from the telling of these stories that we're talking about a patriarchal society mm-hmm. where men are, are are valued and women are property. Right, right, right. And th- to me, this is again like an important place where. Uh, it's important to say th- this is part of the world that the these stories are told and in, inhabit in, and just because that's the world in which they live, that does not mean we get to say, well, the Bible says this how it went, and therefore that's how it ought to be. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a really, really important move, but we we don't always teach the importance of that move. That just because something happens in the Bible or would have been assumed as the norm in the biblical setting or context, sometimes we get sloppy and go, well, this is okay in the Bible, therefore it's okay now, instead of like this this terrible thing happened. But the Bible is not endorsing any of these things or endorsing even the way that this was presented. Either. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the difference between prescriptive and descriptive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like this is describing what has happened as opposed to prescribing, saying like what should happen, what we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because there is human sin in the world doesn't mean that we need to repeat the sins of the past mm-hmm. if they can be so avoided. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and Steve, you're talking about like the normal, like this is just kind of what happens. Yeah. And while n- none of these stories really seem to necessarily care a whole lot about the, the woman, mm-hmm. maybe with the exception like Hagar a little bit after the fact and Tamar a little bit, but the other two mm-hmm. obviously they end up dead in the end. <laughs> Thankfully, the way I read these stories when I come across them this, even though there's not a lot of detail to them, it does not seem like normative. There's still that sense, at least, that mm-hmm. something went wrong here. Yeah, yeah, I, and yeah. I don't, I don't think any of these stories treats these episodes like this is a good move on anybody. I, I don't even think the Genesis story about Hagar uh, and Ishmael plays as a feather in Sarah or Abraham's cap. I don't think anybody oh, says no, what, no. what you know. Uh, but I guess I think even the 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 way some things get soft-pedaled and some things get mm-hmm. amplified is is worth like considering and maybe that also suggests for, for me one of the one of the connecting points of things that this cans of worms this opens for me is um, how how easy it is for me to center myself rather than like wait a second who are the other people around who suffer in different ways or yeah. far worse ways that like oh that's not very important to me so I'm going to ignore that um, and that that happens here in the in the scriptures. And again, like say, like it seems like there should be a bigger deal made, mm-hmm. and not so casual about what terrible things happen, um, or that the proper response is, "I will cut up a body and send it." <laughs> well, you know, some of the other violence we talked about seems like it's the good and right. You know, it almost you know the conquest of the promised land seems like a good thing. It gets framed as this is there. God this is on their deal, side, right? Or at least these stories. Again, the way I read it, don't necessarily get that frame. They, but they also, especially for our twenty-first century years, yeah, do not get the treatment that we feel sure they should yeah. get. Like the explanation of why, yeah, yeah. And, and what happened to the people after the fact, yeah. And I guess, like t- to me, it feels like even even more than just um, the our twentieth twenty-first century years. Because I get it. There's some ways that yeah, our world and the 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 ways we're taught to to see things is yeah, worlds away, mm-hmm. and I. I can't unreasonably force ancient mindsets to fit my categories. At the same time, um, one, the New Testament itself, 
for, for, for Christians at least, do have this sense of like, there is to be this dramatic equality between there is no longer male and female. Like, mm-hmm. those, those, there, there shouldn't be any longer um, whatever, whatever uh, subjugation or, or derision of, of gender. Um, but you got to think, like, there had to be some people in, even in the ancient world, that, like, recognize the importance of, of women. And if we think God is behind any of these stories, doesn't God care about the importance of these yeah. women? And the fact that you do get stories like, uh, you know, uh, Deborah, who's the shining example of, of leadership that exposes, like, the cowardice of all the other men in that story, like, clearly somebody was like, obviously women have things to contribute. They, they shouldn't be dismissed as, you know, mere property or something. S- someone should be able to say, like, yeah, how, co- how, how come everybody didn't recognize that? Like, I, it, to me this feels a little bit like, and forgive me, this is a little bit of a leap, but like, um, anytime there's conversation about, like, how slavery shows up in early American founding documents, you'll hear people say things like, well, it was just the times, everybody thought slavery was okay, and therefore you can't judge them because that's how the world was. But th- that wasn't everybody. There were lots of people in the 1700s who said slavery is terrible and wrong and immoral, and we shouldn't be okay with yeah. it. So the fact that some people had chosen to not listen to those voices, mm-hmm. yeah, they had made that choice, but there clearly were people saying this is not okay. And I have to think that there were at least some people in... Um, probably women at least, <laughs> in the ancient biblical narrative, um, who were like, no, this is not okay to do to us. Um, and anytime we say that, well, everybody thought this way back in the ancient times, seemed to like have a really narrow set of who the everybody is. Oh, well, I'm sure the men didn't think it was a big problem that we were killing uh, the, the concubine who'd been left for dead outside. Um, but I, I'm sure every, every daughter who ever heard this story was like, wait a second, how, why did this happen? And you know, they, we're, we're, we're traumatized by it. Yeah, I wonder why these stories were kept in scripture. I, I think that, that that's like, one of the things that... The, the Tamar story makes sense because of the eventual civil war that comes uh-huh. from that experience. Yep. But like, the writers of scripture could have left Hagar out of the story. Yeah. Because, you know, Ishmael does not become the father of nations yep. of Israel. Like, they could have left that out of the story. The Levite and the concubine, like, they don't even get named. Yeah. Like, why does this necessarily have yeah. to be a whole story in Scripture? And Jephthah, I, I mean, I if, even what happens doesn't have to necessarily stay in there. I think for both the daughter of Jephthah and the unmarried woman and the Levite, they're both examples of what happens when there isn't a king yeah yeah it, like it, it's kind of it, it's kind of those examples of hey this is kind of what happens when you don't follow yeah. god's will is that you you end up making poor decisions because you don't have somebody telling you to make the good decisions yeah. and i think that's definitely the way the the, the the book of judges is framed as basically Here's how terrible mm-hmm. things are when there is no king. And it, it, it's interesting to me, too, you raise a good point, that like it's not just, this is what happens when people don't follow God's commandments, but the book of Judges very clearly has this agenda of, this is what happens when there's no king to enforce or to back up mm-hmm. the commandments. Um, and, yeah, I, th- I think those stories were held on to as, like, look how terrible the world gets when... So, even the writer, even, even if it seems kind of glib the way they dismiss the violence, they're still saying these are shocking moments of violence, that uh, this is what happens when there's no king in Israel. Um, oh, and Judges has that reoccurring line, and, right. and the people did what was right in their own mm-hmm. eyes. And mm-hmm. so I think you're right, like, this is just... 
this is an example of what happens when right. people do what is right in their own eyes. Right, 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 right. And, and oh, go ahead. I, I, I also wonder myself if there isn't some power and healing in the fact that these stories are kept as, mm-hmm. like, because violence against women is one of those things that unfortunately has just always been around. Yeah. But it's also one of those things that it often gets swept under the rug and people don't talk about it. And so, like, there is healing in being able to share your story with another woman and hear, yes, something similar happened to me, too. Mm-hmm. Where there's there's that grief of, I can't believe that this is as widespread as it is because we don't ever talk about it. But also, you've gone through something similar and you understand my pain Mm -hmm. and so i kind of wonder if that isn't also part of why they're kept in the bible as examples of yeah there's violence against women and it's terrible and we really you know should try to take steps to have that not be a thing but also hear these other stories of when it has happened Mm -hmm. solidarity Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Um, one of the things that is difficult for me, even in these two stories that are set as, like, examples of look how how wrong things get, is that Jephthah's story seems so ambiguous. That, like, um, I think the the story about the, the, the concubine and the Levite is very clearly, like, uncompromising that this is a terrible thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, we may want to pick nits about, like, why would you be okay with them harming this person? Or not? Uh, but the, it's still, like, this is a terrible story. Yeah. The Jephthah story seems like it, it's left vague, like, was it a good thing for him to make a vow? Like, because there there are points in the scriptures that talk about, I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord. And, like, that's a recurring mm-hmm. refrain in the Psalms of how important it is. Keep your vows and don't make a vow if you're not going to keep it. Um, and it, you could you could see part of in, in Israel's memory being, oh, this is a story about why it's important to keep your vows, even if it's very difficult. So if you promise to kill your daughter, you should. And I don't th- I don't think that's clearly what, what God intends here. I, I always kind of wondered if maybe this is a story as to why you shouldn't make vows Foolish like that. Foolish vows. Right, right. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, nobody asked Jephthah to make the vow mm-hmm. of, hey, if you let me win this battle, I will sacrifice the first thing mm-hmm. that comes across mm-hmm. my path when I go home. Nobody asked him to make that vow. Mm -hmm. It's similar to like, all right, confession. When I was in the third grade and we had to go do bowling for PE, uh, where we got to go to the local bowling alley and learn how to go bowling, you know, I was constantly making those deals of like, if you just let me have this strike, I'll promise to read two two chapters of the Bible when I get home. (laughs) Nobody asked me to make those vows. Uh And did that actually help me make a strike? Probably not. But, like, nobody's asking Jephthah to make this vow. Right. And so then he does. And it's uh, it's so frustrating. It, it, well, and I guess one of the things that's difficult is I'm totally there on that, that wavelength that, like, the I think overall all witness of scriptures, like, don't make stupid vows. That's stupid. Um, but, like, there are other times, like, Jacob is constantly making deals like that with God when God never asked for terms. And, like, you know, uh, Jacob will say things like, after God has promised, I'll be with you. Jacob will go, well... If you promise to be with me, God, I'll promise to give you back an offer. Well, like, I just already said I was going to be with you. So no, there's no deal-making necessary, you moron. Except that <laughs> Jacob seems to want things on his terms. Like, it's got to be a deal, and then I've earned it. or then Because Jacob thinks like a schemer. Um, and I guess part of what, what bothers me is 
Jacob eventually, theoretically, learns his lesson that you don't need to keep making deals with God just because he gets overwhelmed by the grace of God. Poor Jephthah's daughter doesn't get the chance that, like, if, there, if there's going to be a story of you don't have to make stupid vows, how come the story doesn't end with? And Jephthah's daughter smacked her dad upside the head and said, hey, don't make vows about your daughter anymore. Um, but, like, it, and I, again, I, I, don't, I know I don't get to make the story go the way I want, but the fact that you've got other stories that sort of, like, go in that direction and point out how foolish it is to make rash vows, um, th this story just feels like one of, it is so easy to misunderstand what the point of this well, is. And, and, again, on those same lines, I also get frustrated at the daughter of Jephthah, <laughs> because, like, when... Her dad comes home and realizes, oh, it's you I have to kill. He's, like, about ready to just go ahead and do it. And she convinces him to let her go off on retreat for a while and mourn her virginity and, like, like see the other young women of the land so that they can all mourn with her. And there's a huge part of me that goes, okay, use this opportunity to run away. Uh -huh. <laughs> go, be, go be safe. Go Don't seek, return home. Right. Go seek sanctuary with one of your friends. Like, you're literally going and seeing all your friends and telling them what's happening, and they're all mourning with you. Just stay there. Surely one of their dads will take pity on you and quickly marry you off to one of their sons. Surely that would be better. But, you know, judges goes on about her faithfulness and the fact that she goes home to her dad and hands herself over. And it's like, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, again, it, it, it's just interesting that we don't get more, I guess, more data about like, well, how, how are we supposed to interpret what happened? Is, is she a, a hero for all this? Or is there, was there somebody in, in Israel's history who, who raised these, like, it'd be interesting to read like the, the uh, you know rabbinic conversations about this over the, mm -hmm. the years, you know the, the um, midrash and things like that about how 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 do you interpret what what happened here and is she supposed to be an example? Is she supposed to be? Why would she? Yeah, I, I don't because people surely have been wrestling over these things for for all these years. Um, I guess what I what I'm wondering is um, as we try to make the the leap to what do we do about all this? I mean, it seems to me one thing that's important in in cautious ways, like maybe a podcast instead of a children's sermon, is like that we create <laughs> venues to tell the stories and let those let the stories that are there in our sacred scriptures be heard, so that again, folks know what we're dealing with here. I and mean, like it's 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 important if if we're going to be people who gather on Sundays and say God speaks in the midst of these scriptures, okay, but you got to know what's in here and deal with them. But what else what else are we are, are we to make, or how do these stories speak to us? How do how do we deal with the violence in these stories? It doesn't make it easier for me to deal with the violence, but I, I do take some comfort, and we mentioned this before, um, right at the beginning, that it's not God commanding mm -hmm. this violence. So for me, personally, that makes it a little bit easier to talk about these stories, mm -hmm. um, because then you don't have that, you know, obviously God's in the midst of everything that's going on, but like you just don't have that complexity of, God commanded, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, Jephthah to um, kill his his daughter yeah, and yeah. her. He didn't command Abraham to send Hagar out after she got pregnant. Back, he tells her to go after mm -hmm. her and take care of her. You know, um, and some of these stories, God actually redeems some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that. It makes it a little bit easier for me to deal with the violence of them, but yeah. um, 
it still doesn't make it easy because you know it, they're still violent and it's yeah. I, one of the things that that I am challenged by about stories like this is the I guess it it, it makes me feel like I need to do a better job of looking at what what terrible things have I gotten comfortable with that mm -hmm. maybe I mm -hmm. shouldn't be comfortable yeah. with. And one of the ways we get comfortable with things is we just skip over them. And so it was not until I was in my 20s that I knew half of these stories were in the Bible at exactly. all. You know? mm -hmm. uh, so what do we do about it? And I, again, I get it. These are stories I'm not going to read to my kids at bedtime. So what, what is the right age to be introduced to a terrible story about the rape and dismemberment of somebody? Okay, you're right. That Maybe that should be a later adult kind of a, a thing. But... We shy away from ever approaching that and dealing with it. And I guess one of my concerns is if, I, if I'm if i afraid to do it in the Bible, which should be like fair game for among Christians, but yep, we can talk about what happened in the Bible. Um, how, how am I ever going to find the courage to mm -hmm. deal with terrible things happening around us in the world that either... How would I know what's happening? What, can I, what, what news sources should I consult? And what do we do in an era when everybody's got different news sources about what terrible things are happening in the world? We can't even agree on reality. Um, and also, when it is so easy to... I don't want to think about this unpleasant thing, so I will either assume they got what they deserved, or um, I don't want to, I want to focus on something else. Or, it, it, or I can just complain about, isn't it too bad there's so much sad news out there? I don't want to focus on it. I'll only think about the positive things. When, like, that leads us to forgetting that, that these terrible things happen and naming the, I guess, the, the, the tragedy of it. But I wonder sometimes, is, isn't it easier to talk about the violence that we see around us today than to talk about the violence in Scripture? And, and let, let me get it, because to, what's happening in us today is not part of a sacred text. You know, sure. and, and so, like, it's still hard to talk about because it's still violence, and yeah. I mean... And I think it, in a lot of ways, like you said, it's more difficult because it, it's right now mm -hmm. and there's so many different sides to every story sure, and why sure. there's violence and, and all this going on. But at least I don't have to, with today's violence, I don't have to try to understand how that fits in and why that was included into a sacred text. Yeah, I mean, I think it maybe, to me, it feels like it just presents a different set of challenges. On the one hand, yeah, when you're talking about stories like this in the Bible, it becomes, you're, at, you're left with the added, why was this held on to and what am I supposed mm -hmm. to get out of this? How is this God's word for me? Um, but on the other hand, um, there's the, the challenge of when it, we're talking about things that are happening in real life in real time, that forces us to make judgment calls about um, good and evil and, and it forces us to take sides in ways that yeah. might risk making people upset. My, my, my father-in-law gave me a, a tip early on in ministry life. He used to say he um, had learned to tell Hittite jokes. So he'd take all the funny, you know, terrible, corny jokes about whatever ethnic group and tell them about Hittites because there aren't any Hittites anymore. Cause it's mm -hmm. So take the, the punchline, just make it about Hittites, and it's fine because there's no Hittites anymore. And I, I, I get that. Like, in mm -hmm. some ways, that's... It's, it's easier to deal with ancient stories and ancient peoples because we can at least shrug them off and go, well, they were all people who lived a long time ago. This isn't going to offend anybody. But to, like when, when we deal with stories like um, uh, you know, violence um, with law enforcement involvement and things are so messy and so complicated, it automatically, to, to tell a story automatically suggests a side in ways that like, a lot of folks get super mm -hmm. uncomfortable about. Like, to me, it feels like... And, and one of the added challenges is the the... 
records we get in the scriptures are obviously incomplete, but there's no way we're going to get any more data about what happened. So yeah. those stories, that, that's as much of the narrative as we're ever going to have. But things like, for example, what happened with Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, there's like ongoing data changes mm -hmm. and, well, we thought this is the story, now this is the story, now the grand jury says no, what well, we weren't getting, like, it's, it's tough to talk about things happening around us in the world and say we can't just gloss over things because it's mm -hmm. uncomfortable, but on the other hand, it's hard to get a settled, like, here's what the facts are. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges, I guess, I guess how, do we, how do we have this conversation mm -hmm. about the, the Tamars and Hagars and Jephthah's daughters where, where this ha is happening still today? And maybe that's something, you know, the fact that it has been going on for so long, you know, the, the flip side to what I said earlier, how it might be, you know, sometimes easier to talk about what's going on today because it's not part of Holy Scripture, you know, to know that it's part of Holy Scripture and to realize, like, not that it makes it better, that this has been going on forever, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> that makes it so much worse. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, we can use these stories to maybe try to help give us some insight in how to deal with things mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you know, police violence and, and other things. I don't know how. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how to make that connection. Um, but at least knowing that Scripture realizes that violence, especially violence against women, mm -hmm. has been going on since, yeah. you know, since Genesis. Yeah, yeah. Um, at least it for me it gives me the sense that God cares about it even if when we don't get the resolutions to the to these stories yeah. um, God cares enough about the fact that there was violence against women to call it out and say this is wrong sure I guess that's the piece that I wish there were a stronger word on again I I, I know I, I I don't get to edit the Bible and say God I wish you did it this way we got we got, we got I gotta live with, with, with but it feels to me like in Genesis 4, God tells Cain, Abel's blood is crying out from the ground. Like, like th this, this murder has been such a terrible thing that this is causing an affront and that God is compassionate and hears this victim. And if we believe that God loves men and women and all people, like, surely, you know, the blood of, of Tamar and Jephthah's daughter and the concubine, surely is their blood crying out to God mm -hmm. as well. And is part of our... I guess big picture faith that they mattered in ways even if they didn't get that kind of call out in the scriptures like Cain does or like Abel does. Well, and scripture was written by human beings. Right. And and so while inspired by God, like it was written by human hands and so we have to just like the stories today that are being told to us about the violence going on in our world today mm -hmm. are being told by humans and so yeah. there is a skewed Right. There is, you know, a, an agenda of some <laughs> sort even even the news sources that try not to have agendas, which you know most of them do anymore, unfortunately. We don't have the Walter Cronkites anymore. <laughs> Just told you the way things were. Um, you know, so we have to take that into consideration and yeah. just, you know, and wrestle with that and say, right. yeah, you know, God, I wish you would have come down harder on this and say, no, this is yeah. wrong. Yeah. You should not, you know, do these things. You should not be killing these women. But, yeah. To me, this is this is where, and I'm going to be rough here because I, I have not directly consulted uh, the book I mentioned last time, uh, Greg Boyd's series on mm -hmm. the crucifixion of the warrior land. But the perspective that he offers in, in that book suggests that in a, in a set of passages like this, it might well be when we get to glory that 
God's like, yeah, of course I was upset. I grieved and ached over all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But the way humans wrote this down made it sound like that was the big deal and I only cared about these. And, yeah. and, and that part of God's deep goodness in the end revealed in Jesus is that like God's willing to put up with the, the, the possibility that we're going to give all this bad press. How come God doesn't care? Well, of course God does. But yeah, God's willing to, to work through such hands like ours mm-hmm. that bring our own skew and that part of God's way of, of reigning is to allow that we, do, that, that we tell the story our way rather than God's way. Um, that that seems to me at least an intriguing idea to wrestle with in all this. It, like I say, the, the the there are other ways that that's problematic or, or brings its own set of wrinkles, um, but it does suggest to me that when we get to glory, to use that imagery, it may well be that God turned out to care a whole lot more about things that the Bible didn't voice the way we might have wished mm-hmm. it, and that we'll discover, oh, God is bearing with a lot of our condescending to our weak measure to borrow John Calvin phrase. See, I can do Calvinist stuff too. <laughs> Well, we definitely haven't solved anything. Nope. Um, but we weren't even trying this time. We're just naming things. Um, anything else we think we need to address in, in this conversation for now? Yeah. I okay. think that it... Play uh, it out there. Sexual violence is bad. So don't do it. And But if you are experiencing sexual violence, you know, please seek help. There are lots of resources in whatever community you happen to live in. Um, you know, go to the police... Or if you don't have the courage to go to the police, you can go to places like even your local library, and the librarians there will know the local resources that are available to you. So please seek help. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so we'll be exploring other challenging sets of stories and instances of violence in the Bible next time. Um, and we do hope that you'll join us, even though these are difficult conversations. We think they're important ones. So, so keep joining us here uh, as you keep listening on the Crazy Faith Talk. See you all. Bye.